This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and today we dive into the history books with official Cal League historian Chris Lampy. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com/easypass. The Cal League has a rich history, and to talk about that today and some of the history of the Stockton Ports, the Cal League historian himself, Chris Lampy, joins us. Uh, Chris, I see you've got your uh, vintage Ports hat on there. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's kind of a, an odd time for all of us right now, but it's nice to talk some baseball with you. Well, it's very nice to be with you, and uh, like I say, if there's anything that's near and dear to my heart, it's the California League. So, uh, first of all, I, I know you, you're, right now you are an essential worker. Uh, thank you for doing that. But ha- how else have you been op- occupying your time with no baseball? Well, I've been putting out a California League newsletter each week to uh, try and keep baseball alive for, you know, all eight teams, the uh, league executives, uh, the owners. Uh, we all miss baseball. And uh, that's what I've been doing, working on my Cal League newsletter. I've been getting those each week. I, what's the like? What's the most fun part about putting those together? Because they're they're quite extensive. I mean, the the work. You, it looks like you put in quite a bit of work. You got some stories in there from your own travels, as well as you know, uh, Cal League history, running back to the the sixties, the fifties. Uh, what's what's the most fun part for you to put that together? Uh, just sending it out to people and sharing my love of baseball with the uh, all the. Uh, the people that are on the list. I mean, there's over a hundred people that do get it each week. And uh, I I just try and share my joy of the game of baseball. I mean, there's such history, such tradition with the game. And the Cal League especially has such a rich history too. How did you, uh, how did you get started covering the Cal League? How long have you been doing it? And and how has it kind of evolved into what you're doing now? Well, believe it or not, it really goes back to when I was 10 years old. Uh, I'd just gotten into baseball. I loved the major leagues, but I loved the San Francisco Seals in the Pacific Coast League. And they would have games uh, Tuesday through Sunday. They play seven games with a doubleheader on Sunday. And I had nothing to do as a 10-year-old on Monday nights. So I started turning the radio dial, and I found 1590, the San Jose Red Sox in the California League. And I fell in love with them. And believe it or not, that year they were having a great pennant race with the Stockton Ports, who I hated, (laughs) especially when Stockton ended up beating San Jose in 55. And uh, then as the years went by, I followed the Cal League. And then in 1988, I was fortunate enough to, uh, my best friend uh, purchased part of the San Jose Bees at the time and invited myself and others that we all went to high school together to become uh, owners of the San Jose Giants. And I became a minority owner and been involved in the Cal League ever since. So you're a San Jose native? Um, Powell, well, born in uh, Washington, D.C. area, moved to Palo Alto in 1953. So I consider myself a Californian. My dad uh, grew up like idolizing Willie Mays and they, they, you know, they moved out. The Giants moved out. My dad was a kid and he, he tells me he remembers going to games uh, at Seal Stadium. What, right. what, do you, have you, did you ever, I'm assuming you probably went to a handful of games at Seal Stadium? Believe it or not, I am one of the rare individuals who has seen the Giants play at the Polo Grounds, Seal Stadium, 
Candlestick Park and AT&T, Oracle or Pac Bell, whatever you want to call it. But wow. uh, yeah, uh, no, I went to a lot of games at Seals Stadium, uh, Giants games, Seals games when the Seals played. And uh, in 1955, we went back east on a trip. And it's a really funny story. I loved the Yankees then. And my dad took me to Yankee Stadium. I saw Mickey Mantle had a great time. And then he said, you want to go to the Polo Grounds? And I said, okay. I was there for about two innings and got bored and said, take me home, which I regret now. <laughs> but then he said, you want to go to Ebbets Field? And I said, no, nah, I just want to watch the Yankees on TV. And I regret that also because I would have loved to have seen Ebbets Field. I, I can't imagine that there's many people ever who have seen games at the Polo Ground, you know, all, all the giant stadiums throughout history. Yeah, there's few and far between now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what, what do you remember about, about going to games at Seal Stadium? Because if I remember right, um, Seal Stadium was just off the freeway, uh, where, the, where the freeway is now, the, the junction between 101 and 280. Is that right? Very near there, yes. Yep. That, probably halfway between there and where AT&T Park is now. Okay. So what... Or, what what do you remember about, about going to games at Seals Stadium? Uh, it's, uh, the first time I ever walked in as a 10-year-old, I'll never forget it. I mean, you just walk in there and you see that expanse of green grass. And uh, it, it was really a quaint little stadium. I seated about 23,000, open, all open air, no roof or anything like that. But it was just a wonderful place to watch a game. And the other thing you always remember, anyone who went there will tell you, was the Ham's beer sign near the stadium. Love it. Well, the, the bar, so I, I went to St. Mary's College, as, as you know. There's a bar near St. Mary's College that still serves hams, which, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. It's like $2 a can or something like that. I didn't even know they still made it. <laughs> I, I, I guess they do. I didn't know about the sign. So that's, uh, <laughs> it's fun to tie those things together. So it sounds like, uh, Stockton and San Jose have, have kind of a rivalry in the Cal League. I mean, they're two of the, uh, you know, two, I think they were two of the charter members, right, in 1941. Well, no, San Jose, believe it or not, came in in 42. Stockton okay. was a charter member in 41. But, yes, they have had a rivalry. And, I mean, uh, if I took my ports hat off right now and uh, acted as a San Jose Giants fan when I was a minority owner – there's no team that I hated more than the Stockton Ports because in 88, 89, 90, and 91, we meant Stockton in the Cal League uh, Northern Division Championship, and Stockton won all four. And 88, uh, we won the first two games in Stockton. We came home for three straight games. I mean, I was measuring myself for a championship ring, and Stockton wins all three at San Jose. In 89, a five-game series again, Stockton wins. 90, a four-game series, Stockton wins. 91, I think, was the one that hurt the most. We ended up with the best record, San Jose Giants, in professional baseball. The best record ever for a San Jose franchise. We were 18 games ahead of Stockton in the standings. And Stockton wins in four games. Wow. So, Stockton has broken my heart many times, but I do love the rivalry. It's a good thing you're uh, impartial now, technically. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Okay, so uh, one, one thing, you, you mentioned the, the newsletter, and one, one interesting 
nugget that you've included in, in the last handful of them is uh, your, your trip around the minor leagues in 1997, uh, a minor league ballpark tour in the upper Midwest, it seems like. It, it, first of all, is that the only uh, minor league ballpark tour that you've done? No, I've, I've done many. I did one in 1991, uh, in 1993, 97, uh, uh, 99, 2000, and 2002. Wow. And so, go ahead. What's very interesting about it is the impetus uh, for doing this was a book that was written called Stolen Season. And it was about a LA Times journalist who'd worked in Vietnam and overseas and he'd gotten burned out and he took a summer off just to tour minor league ballparks. And the final ballpark he went to was Stockton. And uh, just a great book. At that time, would it have been Billy Hebert Field or would it have been now Bannerman Ballpark? Billy Hebert Field, yes. Billy it was Field. 1989 that he did his trip. I can only imagine uh, kind of the romanticism of that, just getting in a car, driving around and to a bunch of ballparks you've never been to uh, in towns all across America to watch baseball. I mean, that's, it, it seems like if, if any baseball fan uh, you know, had, had a free few months during baseball season, had a free summer, that would be close to the top of the list that, that I, I would imagine folks would want to do. Oh, it, it's, it is just great. I mean, uh, you've read my newsletter, and uh, that trip in 97, I started off in Ogden, Utah, and then went up into Canada. And, I mean, seeing games in Canada was fantastic. Uh, saw a game in Edmonton, a game in Calgary, over to Winnipeg. And then, like you say, down into the Midwest. And that trip, I went all the way into the Deep South to Chattanooga, Tennessee, Shreveport, Louisiana, Amarillo, Texas, and uh, wow. back home. I mean, 26 ballparks in uh, 29 days, 11,000 miles. 26 ballparks in 29 days. Yes. And that, mo- that many. So what sticks out to you about, first of all, with, with the ballparks you went to, are there, are there any that really stand out to you? Is there a memory that, that uh, you know, is, is first and foremost on your mind when you think back on that trip? On 1997, there's just one ballpark that uh, stands out head and shoulders above all others, and that was League Park, because believe it or not, it is a baseball park built by Warner Brothers, and it was the home field for a league of their own, the Rockford Peaches. And I got I when I go to a ballpark, I always get there early to take photos, and I got there early, and no one was there, and I took my photos. And it was just like I was there with, uh, you know, Gina Davis behind home plate, Tom Hanks managing and saying there's no crying in baseball, Um, Madonna. I mean, it was just great. And then what made that one even more fun was the visiting team shows up and there was a third baseman named Gary Phillips for the Tennessee Tomahawks who played with us in San Jose. So, I mean, I got to see an old friend plus see a, like I say, a, a ballpark that very few people have ever gotten to see that's very memorable because of the uh, movie, A League of Their Own. Who was the team playing in that, in, in that ballpark? It was a team called the Dubois County Dragons. And, I'm, and you talk about interesting. It's in a, I don't even want to call it a city, a town called Huntingburg, Indiana, that had a population then of 5,000. Yet to show you the influence of basketball in Indiana, had a high school gym that sat six thousand. Wow! 
<laughs> it is interesting how uh, different sports and different levels of sports are. You hear about high school football in Texas, you know, high, like you said, high school basketball in Indiana, wrestling in the upper Midwest. I know that's, that's a big time deal. Um, so, so some of these other trips that you took, you mentioned several years, what other parts of the country were you able to see? Well, I have seen ballparks in like 37 States. I mean, I've, I've been up to Portland, Maine and Portland, Maine was a fascinating one because I got there early, took my pictures and uh, another Santa ex San Jose giant was playing for them. And I said, can I come back about three thirty, four o'clock? I'd like to say hi to Nate. I said, sure. No problem. I get back there around three o'clock. I said, you can't really go in yet. And 15 minutes goes by 30 minutes. And why can't I go in? And all of a sudden this guy comes out and he says, hi, I'm with the secret service. Uh, can you sort of prove who you say you are? And luckily I had a San Jose giants yearbook that had my name in it, driver's license, and everything. They said, okay, you can go out. Uh, president George or former president George HW Bush will be here tonight because his son is the bat boy and Barbara will be here also. And they had a place up in Cunny, Kenny Bunkport, Maine, right near Portland. And what made this night even more fun is I'm there, and in the fifth inning, who do I run into but Tom Volpe, the owner of the Stockton Ports, and his son, Chad. <laughs> so, I mean, I got to see uh, – I actually got to talk with Barbara Bush. I never got to see the president. but uh, And then, of course, I talked with Tom and Chad Volpe. The people you run into uh, at a baseball game. Yeah, I mean, you know, what are the chances of running into Tom Volpe, you know, 3,000 miles from California? Right, exactly. Any other ballparks stand out to you? As you're being... oh, there, there's so many. I mean, first off, I couldn't list them all. But one that's very sad was Campbell Field in Camden, New Jersey, which was uh, the home uh, Camden River Sharks. And the Atlantic League, that's an independent league. And unfortunately, uh, they no longer play there. But what made this memorable was 500 feet from home plate was the Ben Franklin Bridge that crossed the Delaware River from Philadelphia. And I mean, you sat in the stands and right field, you could see the Philadelphia skyline. And then here's the Ben Franklin Bridge with cars going over it right and left. I mean, just a beautiful setting for a ballpark. And uh, Unfortunately, that one's no longer there. Uh, Round Rock, Texas, Nolan Ryan's uh, ballpark. Triple A. That is a fantastic ballpark, too. I would love to get out and see some of these. I'm looking forward to seeing the ballparks in the Cal League uh, whenever it is we're playing baseball again. Where do you see the Diamond uh, in Lake Elsinore? That's my favorite Cal League park. Uh, Rancho Cucamonga is very nice, too. Um, I mean – all the Cal Lake parks now are good. Can't wait. Uh, so, uh, interestingly enough, I, and it's nice to have you on. I, I did a story for the Ports website about uh, Banner Island Ballpark and the history of baseball at that site. Uh, I, I know it's now a, a, a designated historic place by the state of California. Uh, you know, it goes back to the Civil War. Uh, but the, the most interesting thing was that there, there used to be legend has it, a stadium that sat there in the 1880s in previous iterations of the Cal League. Um, through research or, or what have you, uh, what do you know about these previous iterations of the Cal League and even the history of baseball at Banner Island, at Banner Island, where Banner Island Ballpark now sits? 
I'm just going to have to answer that one very little. <laughs> it, it's very funny, though. I collect sports memorabilia. And uh, there's this friend I've met through collecting down in uh, the Palm Springs area who actually collects those programs from that era. Wow. And he might know more than I did. I, I do know like 1914, 1915, there was something called the California State League that lasted two years. I know very little about it because it really has nothing to do with the Cal League now. But I know you're right, and from the 1890s uh, through the early 1900s, there were leagues or teams that played in California, but I don't know that much about them, and there aren't that many records either. We did have a program from a San Jose team. Uh, believe it or not, they're called the San Jose Prune Pickers from 1892 that uh, played a game in Portland. But, uh, you know, know very little about those. We're, we're, I'm sure you're familiar with the whole Casey at the bat deal. Wait, right? just a minute. Yes, sir. We're going to change hats here and go to the mud. Is this a Mudville hat? The Mudville nine that was worn by the uh, Stockton people. Now, don't let Tom Volpe see this one. but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing we're on audio only, so I'll, I'll describe it. It's a, it's a pillbox hat here we're looking at with pinstripe, horizontal pinstripes, white uh, white crown, red bill with a red M. So when was this worn? Um, I, not, well, I think it was 1999. Okay, so it was the Mudville 9. Ports, they called them the Mudville 9 for one or two years there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm very glad they went back to the port's name, though. <laughs> you, you and me both. But, of course, that Mudville 9 name originates from the case. Casey. Casey yeah. at the bat, which uh, a lot of, well, I, I, I think a, a couple different towns lay claim to where Casey at the bat is based off. Ernest Thayer himself, it sounds like, was noncommittal on the issue. But in 1888, uh, when Casey at the bat was released, it's reported that he spent uh, quite a bit of time at that ballpark at Banner Island watching the Stockton Club that played there at that, in that time period. Yeah, I and everything I have read, I mean, any, anyone can try and claim it they want, but I think the majority of people definitely feel it was Stockton. Well, it would, and it, because the poem was published in the, in the San Francisco Examiner for the first time, right. right, in 1888, which is the summer that he would have been in, it's reported that he watched uh, quite a few games in Stockton, and that area was known as Mudville. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. Okay, so now to the, the current iteration of the Cal League, which, as you said, was founded in 1941. Uh, I know several teams, the Stockton Club in particular, a hiatus during World War II, and I believe the whole league was on hiatus from 40, 42 to 45, correct? Mid-42 to 45, correct. So they got half the season in in 42. That is right, with only four teams. And an interesting side note on that is the official uh, word is that it was uh, suspended due to World War II. In reality, you read the pages or the uh, all the papers. Only one team, the Fresno Cardinals, with a working agreement with St. Louis, was making money. Only one player had been drafted or enlisted, 
and the league just basically shut it down because no one was making money except Fresno. So the league just basically froze until 1946, it sounds like. And that's when the ports came back in there. Not as the Stockton Flyers, which is, uh, that was their name, right? 1941, when uh, when the Stockton Club was was founded as part of the current Cal League? Correct. I got it down. All right. So... (laughs) The Ports won 95 games. That, that's, a, that's a franchise record, Chris, in 1947. What's the, just off the top of your head, what the, what's the best Ports club you can remember? Uh, you know, my goal is eventually in the Cal League Hall of Fame to not only honor players, but to honor teams. Okay. And in my opinion, the 1947 Stockton Ports are the greatest team in California League history. Wow. And – Two reasons. Number one, they had a 26-game winning streak, which is the California League record, and at the time tied the Professional Baseball League record. It's since been broken. But the other reason is, believe it or not, in 1947, there was another Class C league called the Sunset League down in Southern California. And the winner of the California League, the Stockton Ports, went on to play the winner of the Sunset League for the California State Championship. And Stockton swept the Riverside Dons in four straight games. Whatever happened to the Sunset League? It folded in, uh, I think, 1951-52. Were there teams in the Sunset League that became part of what the Cal League is now? I believe so. Uh, Anaheim was in it. Uh, I shouldn't say they're not in it now, but I think San Bernardino was in it. Uh, Riverside, which came into the Cal League in the 80s and has since gone, was in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't that strong a league, but still it was uh, for Southern California, Class C league. Uh, one thing I, I've found kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm learning, uh, you know, I'm learning quite a bit talking to you. And also since the time that I was hired to uh, work for the Stockton Ports, I've learned quite a bit about the Cal League, and I, I never knew that there were coastal teams at one point. Santa Barbara had a team, correct? Correct. Santa Barbara, Ventura, uh, and uh, my favorite Cal League name of all time was uh, the Channel City Oilers in 1954-55. They played half their games in Santa Barbara and half in Ventura. And uh, they folded mid-season 55 and moved to Reno and became the Reno Silver Sox, which was a franchise that lasted 37 years in the California League. When was the Reno Silver Sox final season? Um, I think it was 94, 93 or so. They moved Riverside and became the Riverside Pilots and then eventually the Lancaster Jetawks. When, when, did you, when did we start to see the uh, transition from coastal cities to now kind of the 99 corridor in Central California and, and more valley cities as, as we see now with the Cal League? Well, believe it or not, really, the valley cities, uh, there were more in 1941. You had Stockton, believe it or not, Merced, uh, Fresno, and Bakersfield while the other teams were San Bernardino and Riverside, both which folded halfway through the uh, season, and then just Santa Barbara and Anaheim in 41. And then Ventura came in right after the war, but uh, all the coastal teams were really gone by 66. And was that just because of attendance? I mean... Yes. 
attendant. Yeah. And I mean, it was a pain in the neck to travel from, oh. uh, you know, Northern California and also the San Joaquin Valley to Santa Barbara, Ventura. I can only imagine that. I mean, Stockton, you know, the northernmost team now, you know, trying to get from, let's say, a day game in Stockton to a night game the next day in Santa Barbara. I mean, you're probably – that's got to be a, on a bus eight to ten hours down Highway yep. 1. Yep. Stockton was uh, not the northernmost team at, at, at one point, though. I know that uh, Ken Korak tells stories about the, the Redwood Pioneers – uh, who were around in in uh, in Marin County for for quite some time? That's Sonoma County, actually. Sonoma they, County. Yeah, they played in Rohnert Park, but uh, that was in uh, the mid '80s for a while. And you mentioned Ken Korak, right? Uh, he was one of their announcers there. He sure was. And I, I mean, it's really great what uh, you can uh, aspire to because you have Ken Korak who announced announced in the Cal League for the Redwood Pioneers, now with the Oakland A's. And you have Dave Fleming, who announced for the Visalia Oaks and also was an assistant general manager and is now announcing for the San Francisco Giants. Quite a rich bloodline. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting baseball and getting started again. Uh, 2005, now, now a new era in Stockton baseball. 2005, obviously Banner Island Ballpark opened. Um, from your experience going to games at Billy Hebert Field and going to games at Banner Island Ballpark, how did that kind of change the game, uh, not just with the Stockton Ports franchise, but professional baseball in Stockton? Oh, I mean, <clears throat> Billy Hebert Field, I have fond memories there. I mean, I have bad memories of losing, but it was a nice park. In, it was a nice ballpark in a beautiful park in Stockton. However, comparing it to Banner Island Ballpark, I mean, it's like, the major leagues and the minor leagues. Banner Island Ballpark is a beautiful facility. Uh, it's a pleasure to watch a game there. It has everything you really need. It has luxury suites. Uh, uh, the press box is so much nicer. And just the fan experience is so much better at Banner Island Ballpark. And of course, being right there is, I don't know, is, is it on, is it, you call it a river or a channel, whatever yeah. it's, yeah. it's you know, just a great setting. Oh, I couldn't, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of parks. I mean, you mentioned the Camden River Sharks right on the water there, but I can't imagine a whole lot of ballparks in the minor leagues that have the proximity to water and the downtown area that Banner Island Ballpark have. You're right. There aren't many. <laughs> <laughs> so now one thing I read in, in doing research for Banner Island Ballpark was uh, that at the time, back in 2005, they felt that uh, this may start kind of a ballpark revolution of sorts in the north of the Cal League, whereas uh, all the ballparks in the south, uh, you know, were had been built within the, you know, in by the mid-90s or so. Uh, it seems like the four, well, the four ballparks that are remaining now uh, in the Cal League were built by that time. Uh, we know how tough it is to get things built in California. We haven't seen it yet. I've heard kind of whispers of a plan in Modesto possibly as part of a, a downtown revitalization project. Uh, nothing concrete obviously I think it's it's kind of just an idea right now um do you think that will I mean just in your opinion do you think you will ever see kind of a revitalization of, of ballparks and I know there's some historic you know I mean obviously Visalia's their ballpark's been around forever Municipal Stadium in San Jose uh has plenty of history there Modesto as well but do you think that maybe in the future we'll see some sort of revitalization in these communities 
Visalia, no, because they just had a 2009 uh, renovation that is spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, I take it you haven't gotten to see that ballpark yet? I have not. The ones I've you, seen are San Jose, Stockton, and Modesto. Okay, you will love what they've done in Visalia. Well, you never saw what it used to be like, but they have really upgraded that, and it is a pleasure to watch a game down in Visalia right now. Um, Modesto, uh, I hope they do upgrade it sometime. Uh, as for San Jose, I wish they would. I don't think they ever will, simply because they've been trying for the last five to ten years to uh, get a new stadium built. And uh, just the way things are nowadays, and especially with the coronavirus, I don't think there's ever going to be money to uh, do it, unless someone privately wants to do it, and I can't see that really happening. I so in answer to your question, I hope Modesto does. I doubt if San Jose ever will. Right. And again, I mean, we know how tough it is to get ballparks built anywhere right now, especially with this new wrinkle, as you mentioned, uh, thrown into the, uh, into the mix. Okay. I, I want to I shift gears now. I want to pick your brain. What's the best, what, in your opinion, of the ones that you've seen, the best Cal League Championship Series in memory? Uh, I didn't actually see it, but I remember it. <laughs> and that was uh, Inland – you're talking playoff series or championship series? We'll go playoff series first and then championship series. How okay, about that? Play, playoff series would have to be the 2013 Inland Empire beating Lancaster. Lancaster was the defending champion, and uh, it went to five games in the 15-inning game Inland Empire finally wins. In the 13th and 14th, Lancaster has the bases loaded with no outs and cannot score. Two consecutive innings? Two consecutive innings. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And I mean, they, uh, with one out, God, I forget the guy's name. He played in the majors, but they – uh, pop fly down the third base line. The runner on third tries to score. They catch it in foul territory and throw them out at the plate. And I mean, just like I say, that to me was the greatest playoff series because Inland Empire that year ended up with an overall record of 69-71. And everyone thought they would get blown out. And in those years, there was what was called a mini-series. So Inland Empire had to play in the miniseries against Rancho. And they had to come from behind in the bottom of the ninth of game three. It was a two out of three to win. And that was in, or I think it was extra innings and 10 innings, even to get to play Lancaster. Then they end up beating Lancaster in 15 innings in game five. And in the finals, they sweep San Jose in three to become the first Cal or become Cal League champions with a losing record. Wow, with a losing yeah. record. Yeah. Unbelievable. An another one I'll just tell you about <clears throat> was fascinating. And this, you talk about bad memories. San Jose played Modesto, and Modesto had had the best record in the league. This was 94. And we open in Modesto. And San Jose has a three-run lead going into the ninth inning, games one and games two, and lose them both. 
And the old adage always goes, you want to split on the road, right? Yeah. But and it had the chance to take both. Yep. Okay. So, how about, go on. Uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think in World Series history, too, there has, up until 1994, there would never been a game where a team had a three-run lead going into the ninth inning and lost. Just and to show. And San Jose did it two nights in a row. Wow. Unbelievable. Okay, how about championship series? Championship series. Uh, I think probably the best would have been 2010. Or no, it's what year was it? Yeah, 2010, San Jose Rancho Cucamonga. That went to five games, too. It was decided in extra innings. And uh, among the players that hit uh, San Jose, uh, Ranch, yeah, San Jose ended up winning. But among the players playing for Rancho Cucamonga were Mike Trout, who hit 368 in the playoffs. And then one of the key home runs in game five was hit by Brandon Crawford, who, of course, is with the San, uh, San Francisco Giants now. But that one went five games, and the game five, like I say, was extra innings. I can only imagine how much uh, kind of added, you know, extra, extra juice, if you want to call it, it would be if Rancho Cucamonga at that point was a Dodgers affiliate. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> okay, um, so one thing I've enjoyed over your last couple of newsletters, uh, a couple of incredible pieces of sports history – uh, 1955, Charlie Beeman goes 16 and 0. Uh, in 19, let's see, in the mid 50s, Alvin Spearman over three years completed 96 percent of the games he started for the Ports. So that just kind of got my mind uh, going here because I don't think any of those, either of those two things, especially the way the game is played now, will happen again. Um, oh. No doubt, you're, right? You're definitely right. I mean, yeah. you look at Charlie Beeman. I think he was in. 17 games that year he started 16 and I think he completed 15 I mean uh, it, I, I'll tell you a quick story I got to meet Chuck Estrada who pitched for the uh, Baltimore Orioles back in the late 60s and he was a pitching coach for I believe it was Visalia in the Cal League and we were talking one day before a game and he was telling me, when I pit, well, first off, he was decrying how pitchers couldn't go more than six innings now and so forth. And he was telling me, you know, when I pitched against the Yankees and I faced Mickey Mantle, I wanted to get him out all three times. I didn't want someone else coming in and mopping up for me. I wanted to complete what I started. And you're right. Baseball's not that way anymore. Can you think of any other unbreakable Cal League records? Whoa. Uh, well, the way it's played right now, uh, no one, I think, will ever break uh, the 51 home runs by Buddy Heslett and, and 172 RBIs that year. 51? Uh, yeah, 51 home runs. What club did he play for? Uh, 1956 Visalia Cubs. Okay. And uh, that, that was a great year, too, because believe it or not, the Cal League had a home run race between Modesto's Dick Greco, who and, and Dick Greco and Buddy Heslett both ended up hitting over 300 minor league home runs. But that year, they were both battling for the RBI crown 
and for the home run crown. And one game I read about, which was very interesting, they played a doubleheader. And in between games, Greco and Heslett had a home run hitting contest. And I mean, that's something you'll never see nowadays either. I wish I could be in the stadium that day. Oh, it would have been great. And another one, uh, gosh, I, I hate it when I forget a name, but the uh, uh, 44-game hitting streak uh, in the Cal League is a record I doubt that will be broken also. 44 games is, is something. I mean, yeah. I, and, and thinking about both of those, to do in a minor league season, because if you hit, you know, let's say you hit 25 home runs in the first half, there's no doubt you're probably moving up a level nowadays. Correct. Right? And a 44-game hitting streak, I mean, we know how tough that is. If, if you played beat the streak uh, on MLP.com, you know how tough that is. I mean, you could pick any – that's what's amazing about that, right? You can pick anybody in Major League Baseball to try right. – you can pick different guys each day to try and break that 56-game hitting streak by Joe DiMaggio. And I think the closest guy to get there was like – or the closest person to get there was just broke, barely broke 40. So a 44-game hitting streak is incredible. Right. All right, well, Ed, Chris, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I, I really appreciate. It. I could pick your brain all day. I I, I wish that uh, you know by this point I was kind of expecting to meet you in person at the ballpark. Obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> circumstance we're in now, uh, that won't happen for at least the uh, the immediate future. But uh, it's good to see you on Zoom. At least meet you this way, and and I appreciate you taking some time. Um, you know, and, and possibly, hopefully we'll be able to get you on again sometime and, and talk some more uh, Cali history. That'd be a lot of fun. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you finally this way, Alex, and it's been a pleasure being on. And uh, anytime you want me, I'm more than happy. Uh, I love the Cal League. I love the Stockton Ports. Uh, anything I can do to ever help you guys, more than happy to. Thanks so much, Chris. I'll look forward to your next newsletter. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home, anchor.fm slash Stockton ports. You can also visit the Ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.